Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Blackbird episode number 99. My name is James. And today uh, we're going to have kind of an ensemble cast of people who may or may not hop in and out. But uh, for sure, I've got Jose Galison, who you remember from lots of episodes of this show and also his show, um, and Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown waiting in the wings. Um, before we get started, I just a reminder, I am going to be taking the show on hiatus. Uh, it's going to be like an, in, an indefinite thing. Um, might be back in a couple of months, might be back after the new year in 2023. We shall see. Uh, the best way to get alerted for my triumphant return will be to subscribe either on Substack with uh, a couple of bucks a month um, or on YouTube. Just hit the little bell icon and you'll know when I post my next videos. Without further ado, here is Jose and clint guys welcome to the show thanks for joining me thanks for having me what's up james how are you doing man i'm, I'm sorry to hear about the hiatus but i'm sure it's you have your reasons and i will not uh i do i will not try and finagle you into being <laughs> another libertarian podcast no. any longer than you have to be actually you're uh you're kind of one of the inspirations for 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 going on the hiatus so uh i'm oh that, we'll probably... that feels awful <laughs> <laughs> no it's great i'm uh i'm uh, gonna be kind of starting my own business and I've been, oh, okay. awesome. yeah, so I've been working with Jason Stapleton on this thing for, you know, the better part of a year and it's just not happening. And I am, so I'm just going to be dedicating myself to that and, 
um, you know, my full-time job, which I would eventually like to not be. Jose, are you drinking a beer at 11.30 in the morning? Yeah, do the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah, great, man. That's a, that's a real agorist right there. Uh, I'm still on my coffee. It's only 10.30 here. Um, why don't, so why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Jose, you can go first um, for people who, you know, aren't, are new here or whatever. Yeah, I'm Jose, uh, Jose Galison. I have the show. No hey, way, Jose. hold that, hold that mic close to your face. Like it's a, like it's a penis. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jose. Uh, I have the No Way Jose show from YouTube, all the major auto podcasters, Odyssey as well. Uh, my show, for those who aren't familiar with it, I don't know. It's pretty ADD. Uh, I, I think I may start going a little bit different and bounce all around. That's part of the reason why I name it No Way Jose and not like, I don't know, uh, you know, the agorist uh, or, or urban agorist or something like that or Liberty Lockdown. What a uh, terrible so name. Of, so I can kind of do whatever I want. I'm not bound. Uh, I, I feel, I've been feeling lately a lot more like conspiracy stuff. So I've been covering like OKC. But a lot of my stuff, you can find like agorism type stuff, a lot of theory. I was on a, for the past year or two, been on a kick for theory. So I don't know, I'm very ADD. I go down my direct, my past. Who knows? It might go current events, might go foreign policy, whatever. I have my, uh, my things, but you know, uh, I, but yeah, if you like that kind of stuff, if you want to follow me around, if you enjoy me that you can go check me out on those type of places. So. All right, Clint, uh, your turn. Uh, Clint Russell, host of Liberty Lockdown. Former mortgage broker turned Liberty ranter, uh, focused obviously on the lockdowns early on and then kind of transitioned to being an ESG specialist because it, it suited my background and kind of wrapping my head around it. Um, and also a preeminent hater of uh, Justin, whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why don't... Just oh, real quick, is... I, I want to add in. I, this isn't my normal backdrop for anyone who's normally. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. My wife You've works nights, of... so I uh, I had to find a different spot for this one because uh, I normally don't do podcasts during the day. So uh, yeah, I'm in my kiddo's room, my little my nine year old daughter's room. So you no, this is this is how all all of the rooms in his house are painted exactly <laughs> like this. I just want you to know, lavender, <laughs> uh, yeah, the lava lamp there. This is great. I love your, I love your, I love your studio today. Jose. That's where he sleeps when his when his wife's <laughs> upset with him. Yeah, and of course Clint, Clint with his world famous like view of what what are we looking at in your background? Is that a... uh, well, if you'd like to dox me, I am in Aventura, <laughs> Miami, Florida, northern northern Miami, and uh, this is one of the intercoastals. Which, which number apartment? <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I knew you were in Miami. I think uh, everybody probably knows that at this point. Where, so you moved from the West Coast to Miami, right? Yeah, San Diego or, to Miami. So basically, yeah. San Diego of the West to San Diego of the East. It's uh, it's mm -hmm. not tremendously different. Unfortunately, there's still way too many, you know, mask culture type folks here. Um, so Miami will not be my permanent home, but it's, it's beautiful while it lasts. Oh. Yeah, me and Top are both in a competition can move closer to one of us. So whether yeah, it's exactly. me and Y Mama or, or fucking Top and over in uh, Lady Lake, uh, we're me and him are both out in the country and no one wears masks out here. So like how it. how close together are you and Top, Jose? I think like a two or three hour drive, not far. Okay. So yeah. They also dock regularly, so they're pretty close. <laughs> who's the who's the docking top there? Right. <laughs> well, his name's Top Lobster. I mean, is it not well, obvious? It's true. It's true. And you both have you both have Hispanic uh, names now, so it's uh, yeah. it's. I mean, you're both probably uncut. So we'll, uh, I'm more of a power. We'll just <laughs> we'll just we'll just leave we'll just leave that to the imagination, I guess. Um, that, that was my vast knowledge of Mexican penises. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um. So speaking of spirituality, uh, I. <laughs> 
what a transition. <laughs> uh, so this was originally going to be Jose and Jacob Daniel Biblical Anarchy. Um, and then Jacob was going to have to back out because his his kids were monopolizing his life, you know, like a good like a good dad. Um, and then it was going to be Ju Justin Campbell. And then <laughs> we tried to add Clint to the little group chat where uh, where Justin and Jose and Daniel or Jacob. Jesus Christ. Even I'm even I'm doing that. And Jacob and I were were, you know, discussing this episode. And it turned out that Clint has Justin blocked. Um, I just invited Justin to come on and maybe try to bury the hatchet. Um, what so what what's the kind of drama there, Clint, if you want to if you want to just fill us in, because you you did kind of call him out just a minute ago in your intro. Yeah, he and a handful of other dudes I don't know all did a stream dragging me. So I I don't know them and I don't understand it. So I'm just here to to actually be able to, you know, hear hear the arguments and then shit all over them. So that's uh, I, I don't know him. I honestly don't know these guys. I think I so I don't know. I stay out of that shit. What um what are I, what I do are just for the record? So do I. But they always come after me. Yeah, so that's the thing. But I, see, I like I hang out in the same uh, in the same sort of what circles as them, um, like the post libertarians and stuff. Uh, like I'm friends with all those guys. I, I'm having I'm having them on next week actually. So I don't I don't really I don't really know where the beef is though. Like I I, I don't I don't hear the gossip. What what's the what are they saying? Dude, about I don't. You, do you know? Uh, I mean, I I just get forwarded shit. Like I just get people uh -oh. like because i have a, a obviously i have a lot of followers so when people hear me get dragged i'll get dms from half a dozen people saying hey <laughs> you know they're doing a stream about you right now and <laughs> and this is what they're saying and i'm like okay okay kind strangers that despise me for no apparent reason uh yeah i mean oh the the, the real issue or the the uh genesis of it was they did a a stream extraordinarily clickbaity going uh you know dave smith fender fed friend or fed or something like that um, yes okay so i i just commented without watching because it was like a fucking four hour stream and i have you know five I can't possibly do that five. a five hour there <laughs> yeah. you go thank you uh so i just commented saying you've been doing i watched like the first minute and he's like yeah i've been doing this for five years and i look at his subscriber count and it's like 70 and i was like hey if you've been doing this for five years and you have 70 subscribers you should be doing anything other than this i was just basically trying to like make him feel bad about his life because sure. uh you know he he had a clickbaity title going after dave who i love and that's it i was you know i didn't put any more thought to it than that and then they did a couple hour stream about me apparently so wow that, I, I would love i would love to have him on to 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 exactly tell me why i'm uh a piece of shit or whatever and then i'll uh, i'll gladly retort that'd be cool um so are you a fed I'm not, unfortunately. Oh, good. I, okay, I, I, that's exactly what a fed would say. Get those government <laughs> checks, baby. No, no, no. They have to. They have to tell you the truth if you ask. That's how it works. I don't believe that's law, but uh, regardless, yeah, <laughs> I, I am not a fed. No, I'm not. Um, it's, uh, it's weird. All right, so yeah, that that was the two bit podcast. It's uh, it's hosted by Jason. He does the friend or fed series. Um, so you know, I mean, I I I think it's a fun it's a fun series. He actually invited me on to talk about Tucker Carlson. Um, but I don't, I don't know enough about Tucker to like weigh in on whether he's a friend or fed. So, um, my thing, I think Clint is a friendly fed. So yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, there, I mean, there could be real, there could be a real debate about Tucker Carlson. I, I just, I can't wrap my head around 
even the premise of Dave being a friend or fed. Yeah. So to be like, fair to that, I think the, the vibe I got was it wasn't like literal friend or fed. It's more just like, yeah. you know, kind of a, if, are they really a good thing or, and even then from the little bit I heard with the Dave one, I guess it was pretty, uh, pretty um, uh, complimentary to him mostly. And pretty much everyone's yeah. like a friend. So I don't I know. I think they, uh, but yeah. I watched the first couple of hours on two X speed. Um, it, <laughs> I, I think they, I think they landed on friend. Um, at least until, uh, yeah, okay. So Faith Liberty Practice says is that uh, Dave ended up being a friend. So yeah, I was right. Um, I don't know about you, Clint. They uh, they might have. I, I didn't. I didn't even hear the the mention of you, uh, to be honest. Um, but it is the two bit podcast. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good show. It's you know it's fun. They they have they 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 make jokes and it's it's funny. Um, that uh, one dude, did. Get... I, I I don't even know. I'm like, like I said, I'm not gonna watch a five hour stream on it. I just yeah. I literally. Saw it. Totally. Dave was going to war over it, and I just commented in his uh, on his YouTube channel, and then that was enough to just set off everybody. So, oh cool. Um, I yeah, all, I didn't. That's I all there I didn't was know to that it. Dave even commented on it. All right, cool. Yeah, well, it, that's that's all right. Great. Water under the bridge. Um, or at least for the purposes of this show, I don't until uh, Justin comes on, and then I'm gonna. Yeah, if he comes on, we can we can we can we can maybe bury the hatchet or something like that. Oh shit, there's a fly. Okay, y'all, if you see a fly, it's gonna distract me. Uh, don't let it distract you. Um, the purpose of the episode is really something that I think both of you as like an agorist and as an entrepreneur who uh, is pretty well versed in this ESG great reset shit um, is to kind of talk about making it and succeeding in, you know, whatever is coming up um, and, you know, whether, whether Klaus Schwab gets his way and uh, you know, all of his, all of his plans come to fruition or, um, what I think actually is that they they're they're going to be using these populist movements to uh, to bring some other kind of plan into fruition. Um, something something kind of like feudalism, where you know these these people who kind of buy into their devices are more useful idiots than anything. Um, it's actually the people who are strong enough and smart enough to you know question question the orthodoxy and, um, you know, do what so many people in our circles are doing and building a life for themselves, uh, separate from these mechanisms of control. Um, those are the useful people. Uh, so I'm kind of of two minds on it. I'd like to know y'all's opinion, first of all, of, um, what you think their, their aims are in, um, in setting up this sort of like world governance, uh, corporate, basically a corporate corporatocracy that's sort of run by these these big investors like BlackRock. Um, Clint, I guess you can go first on that, just because you know you're kind of the expert on it. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've described it as as global fascism, and I I only make that addition of global because normally fascism is nationalistic. They don't have any nationalistic. Um, allegiance. They are purely globalist in nature, but they are also utilizing uh, the corporate world, the world over to implement their master plans. Uh, I think many of them are Malthusian. They believe that the world's overpopulated. And because they've come to that conclusion, they strongly believe that whatever steps they take in the interim, no matter how many people have to suffer and die, it's an acceptable outlook to have and an acceptable um, plan to enact. So I I think that it's fairly evident what their motive is beyond that, which is 
the accumulation of additional power and wealth. And I, I don't think it's uh, it's anything revolutionary in that regard. I think that you know the wealthiest and most powerful people on earth, time and memoriam, have been seeking more power and wealth, and and this is their latest mechanism to do so. And uh, unfortunately, they have done a really good job at propagandizing an enormous percentage of the global population into believing that they are working on their behalf. And uh, that's that's why I'm I'm fighting the ESG fight so fiercely because yeah. that is really the mechanism by which they've implemented it. Well, the World Economic Forum has been around for a long time. I mean, decades. Why are we just now hearing about it? Do you have any insight on that? Well, they started in the 70s. Uh, I think that the the main reason that we're hearing about them is because Klaus Schwab kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, the World Economic Forum didn't have a tremendous amount of power early on. And it was only in the 90s and, and the 2000s where they started to get these young people, the Young Global Leaders Initiative, where they would have uh, kind of, I guess you would say, top-notch actors <laughs> that they were able to get into their kind of school of thought, and then they would back them, uh, you know, both in terms of propaganda, but also I think finances to get them into political office around the world. And now Klaus sits up there proudly bragging about it. And as soon as like, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, like how do you get the businesses on board with what you're doing? And how do you get the politicians on board without having the businesses? So you got to figure out which, so they, they went the politician route, they get the politicians in power. And now because they have so many global politicians that are at the highest levels of power, uh, it's very easy for them to get the biggest businesses on earth to come and sit at the table and and agree to everything that they're pushing. Um, Jose, as an agorist, uh, or even just as you know, a normal dude who lives out in the country and wants to mind your own business, um, how do you get around the the threat of this? I mean, I know that you uh, your your background is in the military, so like you've kind of um, seen the way that government uh, operates. Do you do you have systems in place? Um, you know, other than the the cat herding or not cat herding cat breeding business that we've <laughs> that we've talked about. Uh, I'm I, that we've talked about on this show. Um, are you are you like doing anything to kind of batten down your hatches? Is that the word? Batten down the hatches? Is that it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, yeah. I remember the word batten. You, <laughs> it's like, yeah, to like fortify your life so that okay. you're not impacted by this as much. All right. I don't know if that's a real word, but I'm going to start implementing my vocabulary either way. Um, you know, I mean, speaking to reality. Uh, I mean, particularly me, myself. I mean, I'm just doing what I can. Uh, fucking like a little bit over a year ago, I got back to duty military. So, I mean, I am no way at all trying to you know, make it seem like I'm a, a Clint and have, uh, you know, fucking sitting on money and, you know, sitting pretty and everything's perfect. I'm, I'm nowhere near, I'm definitely a work in progress in that regard. So if anyone thinks, you know, I mean, luckily, I mean, I guess as an agorist, I'm not running for any office or anything like that. So I'm not trying to position myself as some sort of elite. I'm just a dude who talks on a microphone. So the idea that I have everything in line is not the case. I'm still working on things, but you know, the idea being is to, I know it's like we brought the cats thing as silly as that is, uh, you know, that's a side hustle that I have more control over and uh, the government has less control over because they can, you know, this is you know, obviously I'm not going to go into the OPSEC side of things of my uh, my operation. But, you know, let's just say uh, it's a lot harder for them to know what's going on there because uh, it's not like I have a, an employer uh, that reports all my earnings, you know, stuff like that. But it, it's a work in progress. I, I do think, you know, living in the country helps. Obviously, like 
you know, it's a matter of doing the best you can, you know, uh, kind of a, what's the saying? There's some saying it's like a, every journey starts with a step type thing. So you can start moving that way. Um, I, I will comment on what, what uh, fucking, um, what Clint was just saying. Uh, I, I agree based on everything he said. Uh, I guess to add to his thing, uh, I, I do think uh, people need to keep in mind, uh, I'm not saying Clint did this at all, uh, when it comes to binary thinking. I think the uh, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab types, I think they're going to win. But I also think we're going to win. I think it's just a matter of which side of the divide you're on. I think that's what the future looks like. So, I mean, it, instead of looking at the world in these binaries, you know, like, oh, we're going to save the entire nation and everything's going to be perfect. No, uh, you can work on yourself. And from there, you know, it extends out to your community, to your town, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, you need to have that kind of mindset as opposed to having this, we're going to save the world mindset. You need to save yourself, save your friends, save your community. Uh, and I think that's how we win, you know. Yeah, that reminds me of that. It's 2030. I own nothing and I've never been happier article that came out. I, I think that came out several years ago, actually. Um, but it, it, in that article, something that kind of frequently gets overlooked is that there's two communities. There's the city yeah. dwellers that the author is writing on behalf of. But then there's also the people who are out in the country. Do you think that it's super important that people who live in cities get the fuck out of cities? Or do you think that there will be a way to um, build a life in sort of a metropolitan area if that's your bag? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I think like, you know, speaking as an agorist, uh, I know a lot of agorists will talk about like in more authoritarian areas, there is more mm -hmm. entrepreneurship uh, opportunities available because, you know, in the spots where there is uh, more power tamping down, there's going to be more of a desire for, you know, say for the USSR, there was, you know, the, you know, uh, goods, like for example, much of Stranger Things. And it's a great example right now in the, the, the latest season, there's this guy who's a pilot and he uh, he smuggles in goods and he literally legitimately goes to the fucking like the 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 prison camps and will sell shit to the guards. And it's all like sort of on the up and up, but also not like it's a known thing. They're not supposed to do it, but they do it anyways. Like so, I mean, there's there's opportunities like that. I mean, I do think like if you're someone who's wanting to maximize your liberty in a. Like if you say you're like a single guy and you're just looking to like uh, make money moves, yeah, it's probably great. But if you're someone who's trying to, you know, make a life, you know, a family, a community, that type of thing, yeah, I do think it's damn near essential you move to somewhere that's more in the country. Like, uh, I don't know, I, I think, um, I don't know, I put up something the other day uh, a while ago that was like uh, the higher the population density, the more the, the higher the tendency for authoritarianism and degeneracy. So, uh, you know, humans were not meant to live like this. I will not live in the pod type deal so yeah i think there's something to that i mean i'm not saying you i mean that's obviously up to you on an individual level but i, I do think it's smart to move that way i understand too a lot of people say well i, I can't just have a move i get that but you can make moves like you're doing right now james you're 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 still working your full-time job but you're you know working up your side hustle and hopefully i i hope for you that eventually your side hustle becomes your main hustle and you can move out same with here i mean i have like a fucking a gay ass like uh like real job you know quote unquote real job but i also have my side thing and but as as time has gone on and on like that's part of what enabled me to leave the military if it, uh, uh leave active duty because if it wasn't for that i wouldn't have been able to afford to like i just wouldn't be able to I have a family i have a house you know i have stuff like that so i mean i, I do think people need to you know make sure they're not thinking in binaries because i do think that will oftentimes leave you in a state of despair because like uh had i not started this endeavor like when i was active in military i'd still be active doing military because if i looked at it as like oh i'll never get out i'd be fucked you know and same thing with like my, my fucking quote unquote real job right now like I, I know one day i want to get to a point where i'm out of it it's just a matter of making moves keep moving that way slowly but surely and you know eventually hopefully you get there i mean 
I mean, yeah, not everybody's going to make it, but you know, you're definitely not going to make it if you set yourself on not making it. So, yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm reminded of uh, community technology, which is sort of one of the, one of the great agorists books, I guess, um, where they turned it, they turned an entire, you know, big city, I think it was Washington DC neighborhood um, into sort of an agorist paradise um, or if not paradise, then at least, you know, something that is self-sustaining and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I guess it is possible. Um, although I, you know, personally, I'm kind of trying to, trying to get a little bit out of the inner city at the very least. I, I, I live straight up in the ghetto. I'm like, you know, a mile from downtown. So um, that's probably my next, my next move. Uh, Clint, uh, how hard is that going to be for me if I, you know, wait a year to buy a house? Um, you're oh, kind no, of that's the real great. estate guy. No, that's great, man. Uh, I would highly recommend you wait a year. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it, it'll probably be two years before the bottom is really in um the there's there's still a tremendous shortage in, of inventory and housing uh largely because of the foreclosure and eviction mor moratorium that lasted basically two two full years i completely um, so, forgot about that yeah so that that's the the main mechanism that that has kept inventory hyper low uh now that you have such serious inflation you're going to see i think you're going to see people start to sell their houses that have enormous equity because uh, it's like their last hope basically to stay afloat. Um, but also simultaneously, the Fed is hiking interest rates, which should uh, make the the cost to purchase real estate increase dramatically, which will, you know, force the, uh, the sellers to reduce their asking price. So mm -hmm. I think overall, it's kind of a perfect storm. Uh, the only issue, uh, a perfect storm to reduce prices. The only issue is that the inflation makes material costs for for inputs to build additional inventory very expensive so that'll obviously put a floor under pricing because we need more inventory uh so i don't know it's uh, i think that buying now though would be an awful idea so <laughs> don't don't feel bad about waiting <laughs> to add to that uh, little, ane little anecdote yeah. my house i've had my house probably about five maybe six years and it's uh almost doubled in value <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. wow um, yeah, Brian Kaplan, he's an economist at uh, George Mason. Uh, he, he so he's kind of known for his prognostications, um, and he's pretty accurate uh, when he's he'll place bets on his on his predictions. Um, mm -hmm. And he's not really he's not willing to bet on this yet. But his his kind of near term prediction is that the Fed is going to a drastic rate hike after the midterm elections to kind of try to try to get inflation under control which will probably trigger a recession uh that they're hoping will be resolved by the 24 elections do you do you see any merit in that well i mean they've already drastically hiked rates uh, over the past six oh, months so oh yeah big time uh so i mean and it's it's increased at a at a record pace in my lifetime uh so yeah, it's there's if they do that, if they hike it by say a full point or two points post uh, midterms, it'll be yeah, look out fucking below. Oh yeah, I guess when you're when you're talking about you know a quarter of a percent when it's already a quarter of a percent, um, like if you're talking about a quarter of a percent hike, that's a doubling of where it is currently. So uh, yeah, well, but I, it's they've they've taken it up. Uh, I think it's been four three quarter or half point interest rate hikes over the past six months. So it's not, Jesus. it's not just a quarter point. 
I clearly don't pay attention to that stuff. Um, it's okay. I yeah, I and the the reason I don't pay attention to it is because I, I don't I don't understand how it impacts me personally other than uh other than you know mortgages and things like that. And I'm not really like in the market currently for a mortgage. So yeah, um, if it doesn't impact you, then you probably won't pay attention to it. The the reason I do is because I'm building six yeah. houses, so I, I'm desperately trying to sell them before they continue with these interest rate hikes. But I I already know that it's put you know e enormous pressure on the people I have under contract to buy my houses because your your entire um, you know qualification process, the underwriting process, is predicated on your debt to income, which is mm -hmm. you know can can you afford these monthly payments? And the payments increase every time they hike the Fed hikes rates because I haven't closed yet. You know I, they haven't yeah. actually purchased the home, so it's a it's a big issue. Um, what? Uh, this is kind of a this is kind of a gear switch, I guess. Um, what is the mindset of someone who is building six houses? Like, how do you how do you decide I'm going to build six houses? Like, I'm I'm going to be a real estate de developer. Basically, is what you is what you just said. Um, you have gone from being a mortgage broker to being a popular podcaster, and now I'm finding out a real estate developer. How does yeah. how does the how does how do you get into that psychological mindset where you're just going to win regardless? Oh, well, I don't know if, uh, yeah, I guess I do have that mindset. I, I never think of it that way. I just, I just like challenges. Um, so, and I also like money and I like the freedom that comes with money. So I've always been driven to acquire it and whatever I see as an opportunity, the, the best way to do so, uh, then I'll do it. So uh, it's not, I don't, I don't really like go into it with the Kobe mindset of like, I'm going to dominate in every field I enter. It's just like, I just want to be the best I can at whatever I do. And, and if that's good enough to uh, create, you know, wealth, then all the better. Uh, but the, the real estate development side, I didn't get into intentionally. I, I had an opportunity to buy a, an infill uh, vacant land parcel uh, just south of downtown San Diego. And it was way under underpriced. Um, I was able to get it for a hundred grand, which was ridiculous. And then I subdivided it to build out the five houses. I ended up buying an additional parcel to buy or to build a sixth house. And, um, none of it was my intention. You know, it was just like, okay, I see an opportunity here now, whether or not it ends up being super profitable, I don't know, because I've been doing this for four years and I have put an enormous amount of capital into this process and I'm still not done yet. So we'll see, you know, it's a race against time right now. Um, but I took a calculated risk. I never saw the lockdowns coming. Had the lockdowns not happened, my input costs for building materials wouldn't have skyrocketed. I wouldn't have taken four years because the the city, the planning departments, everything basically shut down for a full year. Um, so it was all catastrophic ultimately, but simultaneously the prices skyrocketed because of the shortage of inventory. So hopefully I end up coming out in the black, as they say, in, in profit. It's, it's a, uh, it's very stressful though. I like, it's not for the faint of heart. If you're the type of person that, that can't handle, you know, the sleepless nights as you mull over your, your potential profits and losses. Uh, it's really not for you. It's like a lot of people will, will think that, well, if it, you know, if I come out on the other, like I've retired in my 30s. So obviously this is, this is the way to go. I, I don't know about that. Like, uh, I think a lot of people would break under the pressure because, you know, mm -hmm. deploying millions of dollars of capital and, and having to deal with uh, government bureaucracy and and uh, a central bank that's manipulating every asset class, it's like it's hell on earth, man. I'm su I am suffering terribly 
uh, mentally as I go through this process. So there, you do pay a price. Um, Jose, you're notoriously an atheist. Um, what is your, what is your sort of, I mean, I don't even know if, if spiritual life is what you would call it. What is, how do you, how do you psych yourself up to, to be as successful as you can be, I guess, or is it just out of necessity? Just keep on keeping on. I, I don't know. I just, maybe it's just a mindset. I've been, uh, I've been someone who's like worked with his hands since I was like 15. So, you know, always doing shit. I, I don't know. I guess just more of a mindset. Played a lot of sports. I mean, I, I don't know. Once you got, you know, can't in your heart type deal, it's like, uh, you can't obviously, you know, if you, I don't know. I guess it's just the way I look at it. I don't really have an option not to try to succeed at least. Uh, so. But you're, but you're also kind of big brain. I mean, you're doing book studies constantly on your, on your podcast. What a, you don't think of someone who's like, you know, big and a mechanic and kind of a just lunk, um, no offense, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you kind of are, you don't expect someone like that to also be doing book studies on his podcast or even having a podcast. How do you like, not, I'm not, obviously you're not dumb. Um, but if someone were to look at your resume, they might think that yes. what's, uh, what's, what is your inclination there? Um, like, how, how do you, I, I guess I don't even really know what the question is. Like, have you always been a reader, I guess? Uh, I was always, I was a smart kid when I was younger. Uh, I was actually like, yeah, I'm a little bit bigger now, but I, I, for the longest time, uh, it, I know it's weird. It's almost like a, it was like a personal journey in a weird way. Uh, not to get overly spiritual, if you will. But when I was young, I was always a scrawny kid. Uh, you know, skinny, really smart, you know, when I was young and then probably around like 12, like I was a kid that like, uh, my mother was bugging the teacher to be like, he's too smart for this shit. You need to give him more stuff. Um, you know, it's actually, you know, what, to even go back even further, I actually had a, I guess it was sort of a learning disability when I was really young and I was actually kind of dumb, but really like kind of athletic, really energetic when I was really little. And then, you know, I kind of got my shit together. Uh, then got smart and then I fucking, you know, I kind of got like, I guess, too smart in like a, a certain sort of way. And like, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, uh, I was the nerdy scrawny kid and then, uh, you know, with glasses, I wear contacts. But um, and then around like 12, I, I started like hitting the gym a lot. And I guess like I kind of stopped focusing on like being mentally smart. Uh, and then I, you know, kind of got lax there. I kind of coasted all the way through high school off of like the intelligence I had like the that I'd gained from like a young age. Cause I was a voracious reader when I was a little kid, uh, you know, and then, uh, then, yeah, like I said, I kind of got more be like a jock, but I was still always like a smart jock. It's just not a, something I focused on. And then as I got older, I, I don't know, I feel like it was more like a social thing to where I, I kind of felt like kind of weirdly ashamed of it. Although I never would have said that, or I don't even think that was a thing that I thought about consciously. And as I got older, I just, I, I think this is something my dad said, uh, my stepdad said at one point, he said, you know, a strong body, strong mind means a strong man. So like the idea of being like focused on me there, I thought was always, you know, as I got older, I realized it was kind of silly to like, you know, only put all my chips in one. Um, so this I, is, I don't know. This is hard. This is hard evidence that if you start weightlifting before puberty that you stunt your growth. So yeah. everybody out there, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't do that. Yeah, I'm five foot five. Uh, yeah, I'm a resident man <laughs> here. So uh, I'm like 220 though. <laughs> yeah, he's like literally as tall as he is wide. It's wild. It's yeah. Uh, really funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess it's just for me. I just, I, I, I mean, both of those ventures have kind of instilled in me self improvement. 
uh, if you will. So, yeah, I guess that's just kind of what did it. Because I was always improving in one or the other. Uh, I just was always weirdly focused on one or the other throughout my life. And as I got older, now I'm kind of focused on both. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, kind of more so, um, I mean, I- I'm not as in shape as I used to be. So, I mean, I'm not so much uh, invested in the physical size I used to be, although I still try to keep up with it. I'm more management. If anything, I went so hard that I uh, kind of fucked up a lot of my joints and shit. So if anything, now I'm more like in a maintain type state where I try to work out mm-hmm. moderately so I don't lose it. But uh, it, it was good to give my knees and some of my shit a break. Like uh, I got to where I was like stupid strong to where like going up a flight of stairs would win me out. But I'd fucking but I could squat 625. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where that's where I'm at right now, though. Like uh, squat I, 625. You know, I don't think I squat 625 yet, but I'm, you know, I'm four, 400 something. I don't, I I haven't, I haven't squatted like a max in a while, but, um, so yeah, I mean, I've kind of gotten into powerlifting lately, but you know, walking from the, walking from the locker room to my car, I still get kind of winded. Um, which is, you know, that's really, that's really important. Like you you don't, you don't want to be winded walking a hundred yards. Um, I guess switching gears from psychology to physical health, what uh what do you guys do to maintain your your physical health clint you go first uh i lift like four days a week and do a little cardio i used to play beach volleyball for like a decade when i was in san diego i haven't found a crew to play with in miami so uh that was really how i kept my cardio in in line and uh it is definitely i i've paid a price by by not playing volleyball for the past year because I'm like 220 right now, but I'm six one, so it's not. It doesn't look absurd, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I mean that that's that's really it. I just I live four days a week, and then maybe five. I, I just go to the gym basically every day, like mm. except for the weekends, and and uh, I've I really started doing that because I had an anxiety disorder in my 20s, um, where I started to get kind of mentally derailed. And I, I realized pretty quickly that oh, it's because I'm not taking care of my body. Yeah, uh, I've heard that. I... I've heard that working out um, has the same the same effect as antidepressants on a lot of people. Um, oh, I think know, it's even clinical, better for clinical issues issues like that. Um, yeah, you know who else? Sure. You know, who, you know who else used to play beach volleyball in San Diego? Vin Armani. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a blast, man. I I love yeah. Vin. I, I I know that he's. Uh, He's in the the camp of a lot of people that I have blocked, but I still think he's awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. and his he and his brother, who's a professor at some college, whose name is not Armani. Yep. Um, they used to play together, and uh, I think there's actually like an episode of that that uh, male prostitute show he was on that centers around it. Um, yeah. you might check it out. It's pretty cool. Um, I, I got I got really good after like really? I, I was like really really good at beach volleyball. So if anyone ever wants that smoke, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at volleyball, as you could probably predict, just looking at me. <laughs> uh, Jose, what about you? Do you play volleyball? You, uh, no, I don't play volleyball. Uh, center. Uh, no, uh, more of a bottom. Um, but <laughs> no, um, yeah. There's no, actually a term for that. It's a position. It's called libero. You'd be great. Oh, sweet. Anyways, don't worry about it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, right now, I don't work out as much as I'd like to, just because I do have so many other things going on. I'm always doing something. But uh, I, I probably work out like two or three times a week. Uh, Maybe do like go for a, I don't know, like a mile to a half mile and a half type run, you know, maybe like once a week. Uh, but I mean, that's just, that's not as much as I'd like to. At my peak, I was working out like, you know, five to six days a week, you know. Uh, I never was a huge cardio guy. I mean, in high school, I was. I played all sorts of sports. I was like, you know, fast as fuck. But um, 
that kind of, you know, as I got huge, it fucking died off. But I mean, also I kind of try to watch my diet. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a diet, uh, you know, hawk, but I'll generally try to make healthier choices. Uh, and by that, I mean like, uh, kind of, you know, try to make more keto slash paleo choices. I eat a lot more meat, a lot more fatty things. I try to stay away from starches somewhat. And, and if I do, I, I try for it to be like a, you know, a vegetable of some sort, um, but yeah, I mean, that's roughly what I do. I'm just kind of somewhat mindful of what I do. Uh, I'm not to the extent I'd like to. I mean, on the diet thing, I also used to be way better at dieting because, I mean, I used to play wrestling. I'd also have to make weight, weight for uh, fucking, uh, you know, powerlifting when I was a kid as well. So uh, I'm actually very good at knowing, like, how the proper way to do things. I just, I don't put that much time and effort into it just because it's like, a, it's a fucking bitch counting calories. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to make weight or if you're going to do something that, you know, or if you have some sort of goal to get to, I'm very good at that. I'm also very good at putting on weight, you know, but because uh, I would Same. I would go from from football to wrestling. So I was able you know, I'd be able to, like, take a summer, put on 20 pounds and then go lose the 20 pounds again when wrestling came around. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I just try to be somewhat mindful. I mean, nowhere near where I want to be. But uh, I, I like I said, I'm more of a maintain type thing. So. Yeah. yeah, I've got my fitness pal on my on my phone and it still dutifully reminds me to log my meals three times a day. And I don't think I've logged one in a year or so. Uh, I should probably just delete the stupid app. Um, yeah, so I, I think that I think the biggest takeaway from this, though, is, you know, your physical your physical fitness and physical health really does impact your mental health. Um, Tremendously. I have I have noticed that since I started working out and. Um, and, and, and like, I've even had psychologists tell me that like therapists that, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to go on meds if you're, if you're like, if you're just clinically depressed, which is, you know, it's nothing to, it's nothing to, to make light of. I mean, that's a real, that's a real thing. Um, but, uh, your body's chemistry tries to maintain itself. You don't have to, you don't have to always medicate it the the over medicalization of society seems to be a a big a big thing that that the the that is like sort of concomitant with the great reset clint have you what, what do you think is behind that it, i i don't i don't know that it's just profits for big pharma why no, do you think not. everything has to become a pathology right now uh well i think that it it probably stems from their kind of technocratic mindset where it's like everything is solvable by this elite class of people that are smarter than everybody. So if you have uh, doctors that are putting together these new concoctions, they obviously, I, I think that there's many true believers behind the mRNA shots. You know, I, I don't think that these people are all just nefarious evil actors. I think that many of them genuinely believe like they can solve any issue with a medication and and once you have that outlook, well, then every problem, you know, you have the you have the answer. Every every nail, you have your hammer. Uh, so I I really think that's that's a big part of it. Obviously, there's tremendous profit motive that also goes along with it um, from big pharma. Uh, and then I think that it's also just kind of a a unhealthy trend line where we have like once you're a parent, like you are a parent, not a parent. Uh, once you are a parent and you have and you're on medication, well, then when you see your your child having some sort of problem, it becomes much more you know likely that you'll prescribe them medication to deal with whatever their issue is too. Um, and then once you're multi generations deep of everybody being on medications, 
well, then the next generation is basically doomed to follow that same path. Uh, and then also it's, it's a cultural decline. You know, you have, you have a lot of, a lot of people that just simply don't look at any problem in their life and say, how can I fix this holistically? Uh, they, they will seek the easiest, easiest path. And, and if the answer is, well, you need to work out five days a week, or you can just take this pill to not, you know, feel like shit. A lot of people are going to take the pill. Uh, so I think there's, there's many factors involved. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd add to that too. Uh, Cause uh, I mean, I was talking about the learning disability thing earlier when I was a kid, I was on a Ritalin for, for a young age. Cause I, you know, ADHD, ADD, whatever. And uh, it definitely did help me to get my learning shit together. But in retrospect, I feel like I could have done it without it. And uh, I actually feel like uh, say something like ADD or ADHD is viewed as like a, it's viewed as like a learning disability, but I think in a lot of ways, I think it just means I think different. Um, you know, kind of like I was talking about earlier with my show, I go down rabbit holes and that's like a common thing with ADD where I'll just get really hyper fixated on something. And, you know, my brain works a little bit different, scattered all over the place. So once I'm able to learn how to properly, you know, use that to my advantage, if anything, it's a benefit. Um, so I, I don't know. I think, yeah, definitely people should try to lean away. I mean, obviously there's, you know, extenuating circumstances where sometimes medication is good, uh, you know, depending on what it is. But I do think the tendency should be to try to go without as opposed to go with. Um, you know, I definitely had a lot of weird medical and other shit that was going around the time. Like I had weird ticks that I got from fucking it. Like I used to do shit like this and like weird, like just weird shit that developed yeah. from like Ritalin and that just made me, which probably, you know, ended up kind of making me sort of have those social things when I got older where like, that's why I really got into working out, which I guess you could say there's a benefit to that. But I had a period of time where I was a weird fucking kid and it was probably cause I was fucking meted out my ass. Uh, and like I had all sorts of weird shit going on with my head, uh, that made me an odd kid. Uh, it didn't really fit in well as, as at that young age. Um, I mean, it got together and got older. Uh, my parents still tried to give me my meds as I got older, but I kind of would, as I got older, I would just like throw that shit away or pretend to swallow it. Cause I just didn't need it anymore. And I still did fine. Um, you know, but yeah, I do also want to add to the, uh, the vaccine stuff. I've been doing a weird, noticing a weird influx lately. And some of the mainstream publications really, uh, buy, um, you know, maybe not necessarily buying into it, but kind of being like, Oh, look at this. Like uh, I saw something, I think it might've been NBC or MSNBC, an article where they were pointing out how, uh, there were reports of some women's, uh, fucking, um, their like periods being Metro, thrown off by it, yeah. Yeah. which like, oh, that was, yeah. So, I mean, although that's only like a tiny thing, it's kind of like interesting that they're yeah. starting to be like, Hey, uh, you know, um, what the fuck? Uh, which I mean, that might have something to do with, uh, Rogan and like uh, that Dr. McCullough and the other guy kind of starting to become more mainstream and not be able to stamp this down as well anymore, uh, where they kind of have can't they can only fight it so much the narrative uh, they have to kind of lean into it a little bit but I do think it's interesting so it's, yeah it's, even it's even all Fauci, global warming bro don't worry about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> even Fauci or, or millennials I think they're to blame for everything as well um, even Fauci even Fauci like admitted that you know that vaccines are not really working uh, against these current strains the other day. Um, Jose, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that you kind of dealt with your ADHD with fitness and things like that. Do you have do you, like, do you still experience the symptoms of ADHD? How do you deal with them without medicating? I have I found I found that Delta 10, um, which is kind of like sativa weed, is like the only thing that can keep me focused throughout the day. Uh, without, you know, telling my doctor, I want to go on whatever, whatever riddle enough today is, um, you know, speed basically. And 
but then Delta 10 makes me lazy and not want to go to the gym and only eat all day long. So, you know, it's, it's huge trade-offs. Do you have tools in place right now that help you focus in spite of, or even because of your ADD stuff? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, I, like, again, I've just gone, I said earlier, kind of just got used to living with it. So now it's just kind of how I am. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I un, so, uh, do certain things. For example, someone pointed out I'm sitting right now. I normally stand when I do my podcast, which it does kind of dissipate some of that nervous energy, allows me to kind of have something to fidget with while, or, or you know, I'm kind of standing, uh, you know, as opposed to sitting where I feel like. And you burn calories like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's just a matter of just learn to live with it, learn to adjust to this way of thinking of uh, the manner in which I think as opposed to, you know, other people who you know, don't have that, uh, tend to think I, I just kind of used to, I do notice like certain medicate, like weed or medications will do certain things. So for example, like, uh, every once in a great while, uh, and, you know, for legal reasons, it's a joke, but my wife uh, is prescribed Vyvanse and it's kind of related to her seizures and stuff. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, every once in a great while, if I have a lot of shit to do, if I, if I want to do something really studious, uh, you know, if I, like, I, I think I wrote a couple articles like before I got into podcasting and I, you know, I think I popped an ad or, or a Vyvanse then. Uh, yeah. That kind of puts me in a super God mode when I take those. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, shit, I used to do that for fun when I was in college, take like Adderall or some shit just to like, I was playing video games just to enter into next level mode. Uh, you know, just uh, like, I remember like I used to be awful at Halo, but I'd uh, like every once in a while I'd like pop an Adderall and be just fucking, He's pulling off headshots like a motherfucker because I can focus like a bitch. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, weed uh, kind of uh, takes out, pulls out different aspects of me. I find uh, I tend to be better at being comedic when I smoke weed and I'm focused in different ways, a little bit more creative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like Kratom a lot too. I, I, I tend to, uh, I don't use it a lot. Uh, for a period of time, I was taking a lot of Kratom. Uh, I'll typically pop like a couple of Kratom pills before I do a podcast. It allows me to think in a different mm. way. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for the most part, though, it's just I, I've just gotten used to this way of living. But I guess, yeah, there is some aspect to uh, certain things out there that make me think a certain way. But I always try not to, uh, you know, be be on that shit all the time. Like, I don't like smoking weed all the time. I don't like, you know, I actually don't even like necessarily the way things like Adderall or Vyvanse make me feel. So if, if I do something like that, it's more for like a given objective. Like if I have a shitload of stuff to do, like my, my garage looks like shit and I need to take a day, you know, organizing the fuck out of it. Well, there we go. Let's pop a fucking Adderall and go to town. It's not like I like enjoy the feeling. Um, so I do try not to like get to a point where I'm doing anything like that all the time. Like I did have a period of time uh, before I joined the military where I did have a drug problem where I was uh, on opiates. So, uh, yeah. I, I, so, yeah, I don't like – I'm very – you know, I've talked about this before on other shows when it comes to, like drugs and stuff like – I mean, fuck, I, I damn near try anything. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, a lot. Of, I think a lot of the uh, stuff is overblown. A lot of the, uh, the, the, the evils of drugs, but there also is truth to it as well. I, I just think it's a matter of, you know, I don't think really any humans meant to be on any substance, you know, in any sort of permanent state all the time. So, I mean, that's why I more use it to inhibit certain things occasionally. Um, you know, but you know, like say like with weed, like uh, you know, typically. Depending on what's going on, I, I may smoke a little weed before a Tower Power episode, and I find that tends to make me a little bit more comedic, uh, or able to cut up a little bit more. So, and then, like I said, with more of my theory episodes, I might have pop a couple kratom, and even then, it's like a very low dose. It's just to give me a slight edge. But, uh, but for the most part, yeah, I don't. I, I try not to become dependable on anything like that. But I also don't see them as like great evils. I just use them occasionally to inhibit certain things. 
I think I have like a cabinet full of Kratom still from John Bush. So maybe I'll maybe give that a try. Uh, Clint, what about you? Are you, are you just naturally conscientious or do you have to, um, do you have to like force yourself to be productive? Oh no. Or, or medicate I, somehow. No, I'm, I'm, I am, I guess, blessed and cursed with a capacity for laser focus 24 <laughs> seven. Like, like if I, if I'm doing something, I'm just locked in and I, I don't have any issues with focus or uh, like if anything, yeah. I will, I will become overly obsessive on a topic and just, you know, spent like uh, you've, uh, you've probably seen some of my episodes where I end up recording at like 5 a.m. because I've spent. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know, I've stayed up all night reading about ESG or the World Economic Forum or something like that. So, um, yeah, not an issue. Uh, I also, because I'm, you know, I'm in my late 30s, almost 40 now, and... I, I just don't respond to drugs as well as I used to when I was in my twenties. So I, I tend not to drink very much. I tend not to like the only habit I can't kick is the, uh, the e-cig. So uh, I'm pretty, pretty healthy overall and, and mm -hmm. really don't use any substances. Uh, obviously drinking when you're, um, you know, in a social setting is kind of nice. It just, yeah, just makes you more relaxed and more talkative and, more jovial and, but and kind of fit in i mean that's yeah exactly. that's the big thing about social drinking for me is that you know uh, if i'm walking around with a soda or whatever it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same like i don't feel no, part yeah. of everybody else there you get um, you get two cool. or three drinks in all of a sudden the conversations are are much more fun that's a that's so that's a that's a pretty good problem to have i mean conscientiousness is next to iq like the biggest uh determining factor of of financial success. Um, so oh, I didn't, I didn't I, know that, but that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan Peterson talks about it or used to talk about it back when he was talking about, you know, personality psychology and not just cultural issues. Um, so uh, what about building communities? Do you guys like, obviously there's value in building a community, but how do you, how do you find that having people to lean on, um, helps or maybe even hinders you in finding your, whatever your definition of success is. Well, I, I'm, I'm not much of a community guy, to be honest. Uh, I'm like, I've always been entrepreneur path. Like I don't want to rely on anybody else. Um, so that's always been my preference. You know, I, I still have a, a great group of friends and I still, you know, I'm still close with my family. Um, so it's not as if like, I alienate people intentionally. It's just that I'm not, I'm not so interested. Like if you're relying on someone that you're, you're at their mercy and, and I don't like feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I've always tried to avoid that. Obviously there's, there have been times in my life where I've needed assistance and I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have good friends or family that, that can be there for me when needed, but it hasn't ever been my focus. Like I've always, I've always been very, very focused on being completely autonomous and independent. Um, I think that's probably a pretty common libertarian trait. I could be wrong, yeah. um, but it, it just kind of seems like that's fundamentally our preference. 
but I do think that community is is going to become increasingly important as kind of the the fabric of society unravels. Uh, and I think we've we've witnessed that over the past two years with the lockdowns. Like if you didn't have uh, friends and family to keep you sane, you'd you'd probably be in a, a real rough spot right now. Um, so yeah. and and I think it'll it'll become more important as as we have more and more uh, serious economic uh, issues. Yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, I, I I you know much like Clint, I I am very much. In a certain sense, I'm not like a huge community guy, but I actually think in a weird way that's kind of uh, essential to community. It's kind of like, a, you know, in our circles, I think a lot of people talk about individualism versus collectivism or whatever. And then people have different definitions of what collectivism is. Obviously, if you're meaning like a, some sort of coercive type thing, but if you just mean you're acting in a group, uh, there's no issue with that. But I think it's a kind of a false uh, dichotomy. And I think uh, actually I think the best communities are probably made up of mostly autonomous people. Um, and you know, that's kind of where I'm at, uh, you know, like I live out in the country and so like, uh, I don't really like interact with my community that much. Like the people who live next to me, I live in an area where everyone has at least an acre, like uh, it's technically an HOA community, but you know, everyone has uh, at least an acre the way it was set up. So it was meant to be more for like, uh, you know, red net tech people. Um, and you know, we definitely help out here and there, but everyone in this community is pretty much autonomous. We don't really like, you know, it's not like we do like, you know, group barbecues a whole lot every now and then there'll be some sort of community thing. But for the most part, uh, you know, every now we watch out for each other. I have neighbors that when they're out of town, they'll let me know. I'll keep an eye on their house. There's been a couple times I've had to go over there with my gun and peek around and he's like, Hey, something tripped my alarm. Shit like that. You know, just the other day, my neighbor, he was out of town and, uh, some coyote went into his fucking yard, and so I had to go out there with a gun to try to fucking get it. Motherfucker ran off in the woods before I could get it, but he has chickens, so I had to, you know, make sure he didn't get at them. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, just little stuff like that. We kind of just keep an eye out for each other, but at the same time, we're also kind of all autonomous for the most part. I um, mean, obviously, you have the online side of things where, like, we kind of create our own communities in that way, which I really think is good. And I, I do think community will be ever more increasingly important as time goes on. Uh, I mean, hell, even all of us are content creators. Uh, you know, we kind of all have our own. We're kind of a community as well. We, you know, uh, I know a lot of people hear that, you know, that don't, don't really pay attention to or, or that, you know, don't really know the in and outs of like how podcasters, you know, interact with each other and think that a lot of people have this idea, say, for example, like uh, Dave, like Dave Smith, we were talking about him earlier. Uh, I, you know, people think that like we're like a lot of us like know each other so well. Like I've, I've had a few times where we're like, hey, you should ask him to do this. We're like, I don't think you realize the rapport we have. Like, we're cool, but. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's not, i can't not, tell him what to do yeah. um like uh yeah i mean if anything we're like friendly acquaintances uh you know maybe clint has a little bit better uh rapport but you know but at the same time we do also uplift each other so uh it's a little bit kind of this in between uh you know a lot of people think we're a lot closer than we are but then a lot of people you know uh, think we're not close at all uh, i think a lot of us as a community are kind of close and, and we were talking about beefs earlier there are definitely rifts i'm not saying that doesn't exist but you know uh yeah there's definitely community there um you know uh, so i a lot of people say twitter's not real world but i mean it, it's somewhat to you know like obviously yes it's not real world exactly but i've definitely gotten a lot of benefit off, off of uh, my online presence and stuff and i know clint definitely has as well um so yeah for sure it's totally changed my life uh, mm -hmm. like for people to say it's not real world well it can it can absolutely change your real world and it has for me i mean i I met my girlfriend through this. Uh, you know, I consider the entire Tower Gang crew, you know, real friends of mine now. So mm. it's, uh, and then obviously Dave, who's who was my my icon, uh, you know, now to be on like personal friendship 
terms with him is is totally bizarre and surreal. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the the community uh, there's obviously a the community aspect for me has been a net tremendous positive, um, but there's also been a uh, a real like tribal rift that's been created, uh, yeah. and I don't I don't really understand it because like sorry this is a total tangent but like of anybody in the that's involved with the LP right now like I am definitely as aligned with the post libertarian mentality as like anybody so it's just fascinating that those are the people that seem to dislike me the most because I'm like I have done everything that you've talked about you know other than having mm -hmm. a family and kids which I know they talk about that too and I completely agree that's tremendously valuable and ought to be pursued uh, more readily. Uh, but it, it is fascinating to me that, you know, I, I basically have done what they've recommended in becoming financially independent and uh, being able to wield that wealth in a way that can help in our, our cause. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's a fascinating development that I did not expect at all. Yeah. I yeah, met my wife online, of... by the way, uh, but we've been married over a decade. It wasn't Twitter, but I just thought that was interesting to add in there. So yeah. Yeah. did you meet her on like a dating site? Yeah, it was uh, in the early days of the dating sites. Uh, yeah, I think it was OKCupid, which was yeah. not one of those smutty ones. It's not quite like Tinder. It's kind of like a mix. Some people meet for hookups. Some people meet to date. And we met on there and uh, hit it off and, you know, got married shortly after. And we've been together for well over a decade. And It's, it it's good you downloaded uh, OKCupid, not just Grinder, like I expected. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Actually, Grinder is where me and my partner met, and you know, I mean, <laughs> oh, I, I, seriously, I like I I didn't I didn't use Grinder for hookups mainly because I was like scared of getting HIV, but uh, I, you know, I mean, I did use it for for dating. I used OkCupid too, but um, Grinder is such a like a, <laughs> such a such a graphic name for a I know, oh, I know, and their and their <laughs> their their logo is this creepy mask. It's 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 such a it's such a like just terrible. Well, I didn't even know. I've never seen it. The leather yeah. fetish thing is big in the gay community, isn't it? It is. Yep. Oh, um, there's actually why, there's but... actually another there's a there's like a grinder clone called Scruff that's for <laughs> bears and leather and and all the all the different like subgroups. Um, if we get a yeah, list of actually... all subgroups of gay people, those crack me oh up so God. much. There's so many. There. <laughs> So there's you're such there's a like, bear, James. Yeah, I know. So I, I guess really. I guess <laughs> he's all, yeah, I know. I, he's a big I guess guy. I'm a bear. I don't realize he's tall as fuck. Were you like six one, six two, maybe? I'm, maybe I'm six, six feet. Okay, I'm just six yeah. feet. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm tall as fuck compared to you, but not yeah. compared to you know, normal. People. Well, then also you got your mass, so you're built like a fucking yeah. lineman. <laughs> I am. No, I am. It's true. Uh, so I guess I would be a bear. Um, you know, uh, like a, a skinny bear who is like a kind of a twink meets a bear. That's called an otter. Uh, twinks are the <laughs> there's some there's so many muscle bear <laughs> muscle bears are called wolves clint i think you'd probably be a wolf actually wow um, yeah well, what, yeah, am well, I? Any... what am i is there a name you're, for what i am you're just a you're just a gnome am actually, i like I a little bear am i a cub, am I a cub? <laughs> you're a cub for fully a cub yeah. dude no no fake i don't know what's your what's your what's your body hair situation uh i'm a little not really hairy i mean you can't really even yeah. see it. i have a little bit i I forget what the what the like just muscle, what the muscle guys are called. There's a, there's a word for it, but I, I, I don't know. I, I totally forgot you were gay, James. Well, so this cub, is, a, this is a direction for this podcast I did not expect, and I am thrilled. This is so fun. Oh, it's great. Yeah, next time, actually, next time, next time we see each other, I'll show you what Grinder looks like. I don't have it on my phone right now, but uh, like, it's it's insane. It's just you you hop on, and it's just like a three by infinity grid of like some dudes faces and then other dudes torsos and like you can tell by what's on their picture uh what they're looking for it's 
it's a it's a it's a great little it's a great little subculture i, I guess. should get it just for an so, ego boost <laughs> you should no dude yeah you would you would get so many messages it's insane especially out in the country when you're in the middle of nowhere like when i drive to when i drive to texas i'll be in the middle of kansas you know just nowhere getting gas or whatever and i'll just like open up grinder to see who's around and it'll be like some dude 27 miles away who like wants you to come to his dungeon for some reason people out in the middle of nowhere are super into like weird fetish stuff it's it's just it's just crazy um what what were we even talking about before this gay sub i was i was talking about the riffs yeah the riffs, oh, uh, the uh, uh, tribalism yeah. i feel and like, like these online, two are connected. <laughs> <laughs> uh building online communities my my online community i think so i'm in i'm in like a hundred different group chats um that's kind of how that's kind of how things just sort of have shaken out uh in the last few years among sort of the libertarian podcaster set or whatever. Um, I find, I think that the Mises caucus is sort of my tribe. Um, but like you, Clint, uh, I am constantly like beating the, you know, you, you can't, you can't vote your way free. Um, mm. Like the, I, in my opinion, the purpose of the libertarian party is just to serve as a community, like a hub for libertarians. I, I, I you know, I, I have no interest really in electoral success. You know, I mean, if we, if we win a city council seat here and there, that's, that's fun. It's great. Um, and well, actually the Jacob, is that co the community is going to be pre prerequisite for us winning any, yeah. any uh, seats anyway. So it's like, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's just kind of like, well, right now. I think that the community is going to be the most important thing anyways, because we're going to have really hard economic times. And also because we then have a community, we might actually be able to build something longer mm -hmm. term. So I see it both yeah. ways. Like Jacob, who isn't here, but would have been here if uh, he hadn't been at the park. I think he's like his town constable or something like that. Like he's, he's an elected official technically, but so what, like, what is that? What does that, what does that get us? Um, or well, it, I mean, if you're if you can get to you know mayor or sheriff level, you can actually really really help our cause. But it's not easy, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to try and run as a libertarian. That's pretty much impossible. Yeah, here here in Minnesota, in order to become sheriff, you have to be a licensed law enforcement professional. Uh, not I don't not know a ton of libertarians. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know if that's the same. I don't know if that's the same in in every state. But uh, we we've been like really really heavily looking for sheriff candidates because that's you know as they say that's like the top law enforcement official in the in the in the in in sort of the hierarchy even even above the fbi i mean apparently the sheriff has to like grant them permission or something like that i'm sure it's not really like that anymore but um so what if the shit hits the fan i mean do you guys have like i, I mean I, I don't know clint maybe maybe for you it's like you know if if the shit hits the fan and supply chains are completely broken down you have enough money to you know find a guy to supply you with meat um well, I would flee the country if it if it hit the fan okay. that hard. Um, but I, I would like I mean, obviously, I would prefer to get myself in a position of being self-sustaining and having, you know, a property that that can yield me enough crops and food and things like that to to weather, you know, whatever comes in America. But I don't have that right now. So if the shit were to hit the fan now, I wouldn't have much choice. You know, I would probably just have to have to bounce, which is go, go play beach volleyball in Saipan within our money. Yeah, yeah, that, that wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jose? Do you have a meat guy? Are you raising chickens? I mean, you mentioned your next door neighbor has chickens. Would you, would you be able to lean on him if, uh, if needed? Uh, I'm sure. Uh, like I said before, I don't think I'm in an ideal situation uh, per se, but I'm probably in a better situation than most. But uh, like I said, it's more about moving that way. So I, I I'm not 100% content with my situation if shit hits the fan. But uh, 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It might be all right. We'll see. Um, luckily, uh, my thought process, I know it sounds silly with the cat thing, um, you know, partially. I think uh, most of our clientele is upper middle class to like upper class because uh, oh, we're sure. selling expensive cats. So, um, yeah, so my thinking is they're probably that market will probably somewhat sustain itself relatively well, uh, you know, to, to them for the most part. So, uh, you know, if we have a collapse, typically, uh, I mean, people have different ideas of how collapses work and they work different different places. But generally speaking, the upper class does all right. So I think uh, usually we'll probably have a clientele uh, still for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, so, but, uh, you know, if it like, depending on what kind of hit the fan it is, maybe I'm not in the most ideal situation, but I am situation in the situated in the, uh, in the sticks, but I mean, there is some aspect of the, uh, community too, that we were talking about earlier. So even not even necessarily my immediate community, like, uh, I know, depending on how this presents itself, what kind of collapse we have. I mean, I have top of a few hours away who has land, uh, uh, you know, Clint, who's, you know, I don't know, depending on what he does. I mean, there's different ways we can lean on other. Obviously, you know, that's not ideal. Uh, I'm not like, hey, Clint, give me fucking money. I'm going to go live at Top's house. Uh, but, you, you know, I don't know. It, it depends. Uh, it really not in the ideal situation. But I uh, also am not entirely convinced that if it collapses, it's going to collapse like everyone thinks. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It really depends. So, Clint, why is BlackRock buying up all the houses and why is Bill Gates buying up all the farmland? What's the what's the goal there? Uh, I think it's Spe speculating, obviously. Yeah, I think it's different. Um, I think that BlackRock is is primarily driven by money, whereas I, I my per this is my personal vantage point. I could be totally wrong. Whereas mm -hmm. I think Bill Gates is con is driven by power, uh, and I think that his his acquisition of farmland. Uh, is extraordinarily nefarious, uh, pri primarily because he believes that we shouldn't be consuming meat. So it's like, why are you buying all this farmland, you piece of shit? Uh, that that's very concerning to me. Uh, BlackRock buying the houses, I think, is just a, a a straight play on Federal Reserve policy and the fact that they realized after the 0809 bust that the real estate market will will forever be sustained. This is their bet. Mm. You know, whether or not they're right is a totally different question, but. Their bet is that it, the real estate market will be buoyed by Fed policy as well as, uh, you know, congressional monetary policy and, and bills and things like that. So uh, I think that, you know, obviously Larry Fink has some aspects of a similar personality to Bill Gates where he's also in the the power accumulation game. But I, I think that that Gates is like almost almost entirely a, a power player and and money to him is just purely a means to that end. Nobody had heard of BlackRock, or at least you know nobody who I know had heard of it until a couple of years ago. How how did they like come out of nowhere? Where did they come from? Uh, well they they've been around for a, quite a while, sure. Um, but they uh, they really hit their stride in actually after like oh eight oh nine, um, and they they worked kind of in lockstep with the World Economic Forum and ESG. And they really were the ones that popularized ESG. And because ESG became so popular and because so many governments uh, got in, in bed with this ESG protocol system, I, I think that they benefited tremendously from it. But the the real story of BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, all of them, is that more and more people started to uh, outsource their their money management, you know, their their savings management, their investment management. And and they just happened to be one of the biggest kids on the block, and that that allowed them to become the biggest kid on the block uh, because of their relationship to the government. They were able to get outsized returns on investment, 
And as long as you're performing as a money manager, you're going to have a flood of additional capital and, and more and more people that are looking to you to steward their capital through, you know, the investment sees. And that's that's what they've done. And they've become the biggest on earth with over 10 trillion under management. That makes sense. Um, let's for the last few minutes, let's kind of switch gears and talk about uh, like philosophy and principles and things like that. Do you think well, do you think that libertarian philosophy still matters? Jose, oh, yeah. you go first. Jose, why don't you answer that? Because Clint just talked. Um, because and and you talk about it on your podcast a lot. So I'd like to know, uh, sort of the I guess there's a tension right now between sort of the more Machiavellian guys that are like, no, we just need to acquire power, and the maybe like the Keith Knights of the world who really really are only into the the philosophy. Almost it seems like. Um, what comment on that, I guess. Yeah, uh, I definitely think uh, theory matters. Uh, I know a lot of people lately, you know, will be like, oh, this is just in theory. This is in theory. I think that's a, not understanding mm -hmm. what the fuck theory is. Uh, Making an NCAP stand in your head and stuff. Yeah, which honestly, like, uh, I, I like Pete, but I, I, I still think that's kind of silly, honestly, that, that saying. I mean, I get, I get to a certain extent what it means because some people do get, like, so obsessed with theory they get in weird land, but... I think, uh, well, if your theory, if you're like the idea that like, oh, you're just living in theory. It's like, okay, well, are you arguing with the theory? Because theory is, uh, if it's not comporting to reality, it's shit theory. So in a sense, theory is just arguing reality. So like, it's kind of like you're, it's, it's almost like if you're like, oh, that's just theory. If anything, that's kind of a, whether you mean it that way or not, it's, it's a one, a cheap way out. And it's kind of a concession of defeat in a certain way. They're like, okay, well you need to provide something else here. Otherwise you're, you're not, you're just, it's no different than a, uh, than an ad hominem, hominem in a certain sense. It's just like, you're not really presenting anything here. You're just saying, well, you're just living in theory or whatever. It's like, okay, well, what's your theory? And I, I think one of the main issues of the Machiavelli thing, this is actually probably one of my uh, main critique. This ties in a lot of my main critiques and I'm not trying to open this Pandora's box because we could spend another 20 minutes on it. Uh, you know, when it comes to the Machiavellian thing, I, this is kind of like a, one of my main critiques of using political power in general. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there can't be any positive benefits. I think the idea, especially the larger the group, the, the bigger issue you're going to have with it. Uh, I, I think the idea that you're going to be able to get some sort of uh, entity, some sort of large group to uh, operate in some sort of uh, Machiavellian manner um, is going is kind of foolhardy. Because uh, and even if you are some sort of uh, monarch or whatever, like. Yeah. Um, you know, like you're going to have to pass that torch on to someone else at some point. Like, I do think I agree with Hoppe that monarchies are preferable to democracy because it's a lot of you have the better incentives in place being one person controlling everything as opposed to everybody controlling everything. Um, but, you know, I think the issue becomes, you know, uh, say if you're like, hey, we're going to use this political organization to do this thing. And it's like, but we're going to use subterfuge and this and that. It's like, okay, but you got to realize what kind of signals you're sending off to people. And the idea that everyone is going to be completely, you know, buying into your uh, specific uh, strategy or whatever. Yeah, you may be able to make it work for a small period of time, especially if you uh, keep your circle close or even if it's just one person controlling everything. But at some point, this has got to get passed off to the next generation or the next group or whatever. And the idea that they're going to hold, they're going to have the same strategy or they're going to interpret the strategy the way you have, especially if you're using subterfuge, because, you know, you're, you're that in, in essence is uh, kind of being concealing things. So, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, if maybe your appointed person is 100% on board, operates exactly like you do, you can keep this going on. 
Um, you know, so I guess it's part of why I like the idea of agorism because it's kind of like you're controlling yourself, you're controlling your things. Um, yeah, I mean, th like I said, this is I've said before, I'm kind of uh, I'm, I'm friendlier to the ideas of like, uh, you know, even monarchy or, you know, Hoppian type ideas, you know, when it comes to like um, covenant communities. But uh, I do think they it just kind of changes the time preference in a sense of how how long this thing will work. Um, you know, so that's why I think with something like a small town, you can, it's, it's easier to make it work as opposed to some sort of federal thing or something. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I had another point, but I forgot. <laughs> Just quick, quick, Sorry, quick addition we'll to, yeah. quick addition to Ma Machiavellianism. If you are that, you better shut the fuck up about it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, Ooh, gonna, I, yeah. I know, I, I know the point I wanted to get at, uh, uh, this could maybe ruffle a little feathers. I know there was a dude recently uh, that said he was going to run for uh, governor. He was on Clint's show uh, in Flo in Florida uh, for the Libertarian thing, and he was talking about uh, Hector. Uh, he Hector, yeah, yeah he was going to run against yeah. DeSantis, and uh, he's sort of positioning himself on the right. And I know one of the main arguments a lot of people make is, "Oh, well, we'll ask for concessions from uh, DeSantis for this or that." And uh, I was like, "In." My thing is like, okay, if I'm going to put my, for one, I, I can provide other reasons why I don't necessarily agree with it, but I, I can wrap my head around it. And I, I do think from a political perspective, okay, whatever, I can see that. But my main thing was like, okay, but you got to do that in the open. Cause like, I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, Machiavellian will make deals behind closed doors. But it's like, okay, we well, got to think about uh, all the other people in your political organization, uh, you know, the, pe the peons on the lower level, the, how are they going to interpret this? Are you really expecting the entirety of Florida to be like, uh, just trust you. Just trust me, bro. Like we're, we're fucking working things out behind the scenes. No, I don't fucking trust you. I don't fucking know you. Uh, like, and like, even if you are the most trusted political person, I think you're kind of foolhardy to put kind of, that kind of faith in someone that they're going to make these behind closed door deals that are going to work out the way you well, want. You and and the, the, the over overarching point to that would be whether or not you trust Hector. Yes. If you, if yeah. you expect DeSantis to do what we're horse trading for, you have to have him on on public record saying, yes, I am mm. doing X, Y, Z as the libertarians, re you know, requested or, or demanded, because if, if they don't have him on record, then what's going to keep him from just going, we never agreed to that. I mean, mm. and so you have to make it public if you're actually going to do that. But Hector didn't even really want to, you know, consider that as an option. So uh, that, that concerns me. Yeah, uh, Machiavelli's book is called The Prince, Not the Committee, for a reason, I think. Um, just, you know, having having been on kind of the steering committee for the Mises takeover of the LP, which is, you know, a, a completely meaningless organization almost on the on the political scene. Um, you know, I mean, we 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 misstepped a couple of times just because, you know, you think that you think that that people are behind you for anything, but they're not normal people. Uh, of which I would kind of consider myself uh, a part of, I guess they're not, they're not on board with all of the, all of the more Machiavellian things. And, and so, you know, if you're in, if you're in a democratic organization or even an, an ostensibly democratic organization, whether it's the LP or your, your state or whatever, um, you're going to push a lot of people away talking like that. Um Jose, you have said uh, that, <clears throat> excuse me, you said that Jason Stapleton's sort of wealth, power, and influence thing is sort of the latter day version of Konkin's agorism. Maybe even, maybe even unintentionally. It wouldn't surprise me if Jason's never, never read Konkin, but he's reached very similar conclusions. Can you, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit um, as to, as to what the difference between Jason and Konkin is, and where there's where you see synthesis? 
Uh, I think I said to you that it was just like from a different perspective. Because uh, a lot of people will accuse uh, Agoras of being like utopian or or whatever. Uh, although I feel like uh, Stapleton is just more. I guess we were talking theory, reality kind of deal. Like uh, Conkin's more dealing with a theory, whereas uh, you know uh, I feel like Stapleton's more dealing with application or reality or what have you. Um, so I, I think a lot of people. I think it's good to have both because uh, I, I do think you know while I do think theory and reality are basically. Uh, damn near the same thing i think when you're kind of talking in terms of theory a lot of people you know just dismiss this theory so when you have something like stapleton's type ideas around i do think it's good to give people the idea of like hey this is what we're talking about in reality uh a lot of people see you know agorism as i, I don't know how being um, um less self-interested i guess although Konkin has made points to be like no this is definitely a very self-interested thing in a lot of ways you just didn't put emphasis on it whereas uh and when i say self-interested i don't mean that in like a bad way because i do think Really, um, I mean, that's if you play it to economic terms, that's just what profit is. And, you know, we're all you know, mostly end caps here. So I'm pretty sure we're all essentially end caps. We may differ on the uh, edges, but we like profit motive. That's what drives people to do things. If you're doing something that doesn't have profit motive yet, maybe you can do it on an individual level. But the idea that this is going to be some sort of system you can apply out to everyone is kind of silly because, well, if they don't have an incentive to do it, why the fuck would they do it? You know, like, so, and, yeah, I do think that builds out, you know, it's kind of like ties into the community talk we were having earlier where I was kind of like, you know, I do think the best communities are composed of autonomous individuals because, uh, you know, if people don't want leeches in their community. They don't want people who need them. Right. Uh, and if you if you need everyone in your community, I think it kind of you know causes issues with your community. Uh, that's not to say you can't lean on people in some ways, but. Well, you know, it also weakens the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, without, I, I really do, no, I don't really see any uh, divorce really at all between the two. Uh, uh, the difference is more the focus. I think, uh, you know, Konkin talked a lot about like how he theorizes how it will work out, you know, like different phases and how uh, if we apply this theory, how it works out. And I, for the most part, agree with that. Although, like, uh, you know, I just did a finish, just finally finished, uh, wrapped up uh, my live reading series with Sal on uh, New Libertarian Manifesto, like uh, Conkin's seminal work. And we had minor, we had disagreements uh, on some of the aspects of it, uh, you know, of like, disagreements, disagreements uh, with one another or with Conkin? Oh, with him. Uh, although, like, I think it's a matter of how you interpret it. And, you know, I think me and Sal have slightly different interpretations. Uh, I think he weirdly kind of takes almost like a, a sort of deontological approach in a certain way when it comes to like agorism or or he uh, some senses maybe reads into certain things uh, differently than I read into what Konkin said. Uh, but I also I, I'm not saying Sal does this. I also am not like when I say I'm an agorist, I'm not saying I'm like tied to these ideas or that like Konkin every word he says I'm like hanging on to, uh, you know, so. Um, but uh, for the most part, I, I find very little that I disagree with. I may have found like one or two things I actually disagree with. I think a lot of it's just a matter of how you perceive what he's saying or interpret it, your perspective. Um, yeah. Uh, I think what else? Yeah. Um, uh, so, like I was talking about like the phases and how they end up working out. Um, mm -hmm. you know, cause a lot of people, like a lot of people accuse him of being utopian cause he's like, you know, this is how we win type thing. Uh, but I think a lot of people have this idea, and this kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier, as opposed to as the idea of I think the World Economic Forum or the elites or whatever the the bad elites, the not natural elites, as opposed to uh, Hoppe's natural elites. Right. I do think they're going to win, but I also think we're going to win as well. Uh, it's just a matter of like you know two separate camps essentially, 
And that's kind of how I interpreted uh, Konkin's work when it comes to like how the phases work and how you get to this, you know, Agora, this agorist community. The idea that if you're looking at this from the perspective of, you know, how we've been indoctrinated with grade school, you know, of like looking at the United States as one distinct thing. Yeah, you're, I don't think, you know, that there's going to be an agorist uprising and they're going to take over the entire, you know, federal mm-hmm. apparatus. I think you're going to see more like things like, you know, here's this community over here that's very agoristic and here's this yeah. community over here that's very agoristic and they kind of create like a network of communities. And But then you're also going to have your city states that are probably going to be like these, um, you know, borderline technological hellholes to people who have sensibilities like us. But to people who like that, they're like, this is great. I have all the amenities I need. Yeah, I own nothing. I'm happy. Uh, I- you know, so... I guess in the same in the same way that the that WAF article predicts that there's going to be like pockets of mm-hmm. independent people out in the country. Yeah, Konkin did predict con- uh, pockets of statism. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. they're maybe they're driving at the exact same thing. Um, yes. Clint, where do you where do you think how, how victorious do you think the WEF will be um, in in getting their agenda enacted in the next decade or so? Well, I, <clears throat> I think I differ from Jose on this um, in that. I think that central centralization fails in a long enough time horizon. And I think that it will fail, uh, you know, whether or not I, the only question I have is how badly will we suffer in the interim and how much pain will be required to throw off the shackles. And that's, that's a huge unknown. Uh, I think that the, obviously had we figured it, this out sooner and had the, the people understood the threat that they were under, uh, we could have prevented much of the suffering that we're already enduring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that because the majority of people still don't understand what's happening, the pain is going to be much, much worse than it already is. So I think it's going to ultimately fail, though, because I don't think that they can compete with uh, the human drive for for liberty. Uh, I really believe that at some point the pain the pain will be so significant that you'll see as you've seen in Sri Lanka, many, many Latin American countries, uh, Denmark, or excuse me, Netherlands, uh, all over the place. I I mean, you're already seeing these minor revolutions, uh, as well as Canada, uh, with the trucker strike earlier this year. I think that you're, you're witnessing, uh, kind of a, 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 a genuine populist uprising that is just demanding basic level liberty. Uh, and as people start to, you know, starve, that will probably become violent. And <clears throat> I'm not looking forward to it, but I think that at some point it becomes both inevitable and necessary that uh, that that occur, and it will. So it's just like just a matter of when. Uh, I I don't know if it'll be 10 years from now, or 15 years from now, or two years from now, or tomorrow. <laughs> but it's coming for sure. That's that's kind of my outlook. And I think that the people that, that have implemented these plans uh, will ultimately end up no longer existing because, yeah. I, I do want to add, I actually agree. Uh, I think this is kind of where I was talking about with perspective a little bit, because I do think at a long enough time, time horizon, yes, we will. But what I'm kind of getting at is I think uh, in a certain sense, the uh, the powers that be are reverting to their power centers. And while mm-hmm. they do that, I guess you can almost apply a little bit of a, uh, what's his uh, fucking, God, what's his name? Popular Liberty. I forgot his real name for a second. Andrew. Oh, Andrew, uh, kind of his archotropism idea and how the way power operates and he kind yeah. of treats it almost like a, how you would view fluids and how they work. You know, like uh, I like I said before, I'm a mechanic. So if you understand how hydraulics work, if you compress uh, like a fluid, uh, it'll, it'll take up less less area, but it'll be more dense. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of the same idea. I think as the power is diminished, 
um, you know, I, I think it will become, uh, or not diminish, maybe that's the wrong word for it, as it becomes more centralized, it'll become also more powerful within those areas. But I do think over a long enough time horizon that'll work out. I think one uh, maybe spot where I think uh, popular liberty kind of misses out in this theory, this is one thing I kind of started to apply to kind of maybe used to understand it. I don't, for one, I don't think, not that I say he says this, I don't see it as like a law. I see it as a, as a, as a good way to maybe understand how things work. Uh, he applies it only in terms of power uh, is how he, he looks at his archetropism mm -hmm. idea. But I do think there is, there's non-coercive power. Anyone who understands that, you know, gets that. So I think, uh, yes, these elites will, their power will become more centralized, but I do think over time uh, their power will be leached off from coercive power to non-coercive power uh, to where we do actually end up with power in our non-coercive system. So we're sort of leeching them off. So they will, they yeah. will leech off over time, over a long enough time horizon. I just think, uh, I think that might be a little bit of a blind spot in uh, Andrew's uh, thing because he just likes to uh, simplify it to simply just power. And then he kind of, you know, then power is just, uh, you know, state power. It's almost like a Yarvin thing where he doesn't really ever differentiate the two. Um, so mm -hmm. I do think that in a long enough time horizon, so that's why I say in a certain sense, they will win, but not in the long run, they will win and get what they want. You know, I think they will have areas of power where they, you know, you'll eat the bugs, you'll live in a pod, you'll, you'll own nothing and be happy. But I do think over time people will see the light. And I think certain, uh, that, that power will leach off from, uh, will convert from coercive power to non-coercive power over time and leach back into our system. Uh, the, the true, so. the true, the true doomers out there. Like I don't really understand it because if you believe that that liberty is ultimately the the best formulation for civilization, mm -hmm. um, it's it'll win out. Like we believe in competition, right? Like that's kind of the anarcho-capitalist worldview too. And it's like it's like thinking that you know China is going to win against I, I would say america but america is too similar to china so uh, uh apply the american principles to some latin american country or you know hong kong before china started to smack it down uh like my belief is that that economy will win and and because of that that civilization will win so like it's just a matter of how painful it is to get us there like mm -hmm. i really believe that ultimately we will see assuming we avoid you know nuclear holocaust uh, I think that you'll see that that the liberty-minded civilizations that arise from this era will be the dominant ones of the next, you know, millennia. So I, I just hope that we can we can do that without seeing uh, civil war or nuclear war or you know something crazy like that. But I I, I do believe that 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 process is mm -hmm. really happening in earnest right now, and uh, and we're all kind of like sitting on the sidelines analyzing it and and basically just kind of talking our preferences into into the ether um but it's it's a process that's so much bigger than any of us that it's it's gonna happen no matter what yeah i've i've always said that the black pill is just a myopic white pill like the future's bright and mm -hmm. even black pill even people who's like self-described as black pilled uh recognize that um i do want to shout out a couple of people in the chat so sam from the blackbird podcast when we were talking about conscientiousness and add and all that earlier uh suggested microdosing. um that is something that i've thought about doing and might continue thinking about doing or maybe actually take action on it uh and then Kyle Matovic says hi, and since he's a friend of the show, I'm going to say hi back. And so Sam also says, why hasn't Liberty won out so far, though? Um, and I guess if if we can get a short answer to that, and then we'll close out 
um, that would be that would be a good I, I guess maybe a good question to to answer because that that is a that is a valid I think it is concern. And like that's kind of oh. my binary thinking before. If you're just looking at terms of win and lose, yeah, it, you may you may end up making the wrong uh, determination there. But I think if you're looking at it in more of a you know a spectrum or you know, depending on where you are like with the black bill like yeah if you're living in uh i don't know fucking washington dc uh and you are refusing to to move or make any sort of moves to, to make your life more independent if you're just working for some corporation or the government per se yeah i mean you have you should be probably black pilled if you're not gonna do anything about it i guess it's almost more of like a mindset if you're not gonna move yourself or do or make moves to move yourself to a spot to where you can be white pilled, yeah, it's probably not going to work out well for you. Not everyone's going to make it. So, but I think overall, I think we're in a period of time where I think if you make the right moves, uh, you can move towards liberty, and I think that'll only get you know increasingly better as time goes on. So I think uh, it's kind of almost the wrong way way to frame it. Essentially, I have a very I don't know abstract philosophical answer to this, but uh, I think that ultimately. Liberty creates wealth and wealth creates uh, a bigger government, which creates the tyranny, which then ultimately creates the debt system, which ends up in collapse, which then creates liberty. So uh, I think that you can view it both ways. You can mm -hmm. say that that liberty creates the, the tyranny or that tyranny leads to liberty. It, it, it's kind of both. It's, a, it's an ebb and flow. This is where the, uh, you know, the, the cycles uh, theories come from. And I think it's totally proven out through history that you know, the freer you formulate your civilization, you know, principally on, uh, ultimately that ends up creating the bigger government in the end, which is, uh, seems, seems counterintuitive, but it's just historically what we've seen. So I think that, you know, you could have like, I think you'll see North Korea fall. I think you'll see China fall. I think ultimately, you know, the U S government will either be reformed or it will fall. Uh, and, and I think that that will create a burgeoning for, um, you know, a, a real opportunity, at least, to embrace liberty in a way that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. Uh, there's also the possibility that it gets very, very dark before that dawn. So I, you know, I'm very, I'm very optimistic. But I think that the the truth is, is that we're we're in the end stage of you know an everything bubble, and that everything includes tyranny, and it's going to be very dramatic. I mean, I, we're we're living through you know, a truly historical period, because this is the first time that I think we've seen a global debt, everything bubble, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like, this is, it's so much bigger than anything we've ever seen because we didn't have a globalized economy just simply because we didn't have the technology to see that in the, in the past. Um, so this is going to be cataclysmic. Uh, but with that comes the potential for, you know, a, a you know, a future and a, a foundation for Liberty that we've never seen in history too. So I can view it both ways, both pessimistically and optimistically. Yeah. I think the era of the nation state is probably what we're seeing the end of. And it's just because nation states as big as they are in today's day and age. And I mean, they were even bigger around world war one and world war two um, and throughout the Soviet empire, especially uh, it's unnatural. That's not how communities and societies form themselves um and, so and, and real I, quick that that's yeah. exactly why that's exactly why they're pushing for global governance because huh. they realize that they're they're losing power because of the the technological innovations that that make it harder and harder for them yeah. to clamp down so they're saying okay now we have to come up with a you know basically a totalitarian globalist model to try and prevent this uh, erosion and, and it won't work 
it, it's 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 all of a piece with the with the pathologizing of everything too, with, with making everything a medical issue. Is it, you know, we have to mm -hmm. fix this, and we can fix this. We're powerful enough to fix this. Yeah. Right. Um, let's They're go ahead. And, let's go ahead and <laughs> let's go ahead and close out. Um, sure. So I would like to get you guys to answer one question, and then also give your plugs in the answer. Um, the question is, what is one tangible thing that you would tell someone who's hearing this stuff for the first time today and, you know, they've decided, all right, well, this is this is actually serious and I actually need to build some measure of self-sufficiency now. Um, for me, that came a couple of years ago when I decided that I was going to start learning how to grow food. Um, I've got a big garden in my backyard. Uh, it, you know, it'll be it would be much bigger if I had Jose's yard. Um, but like I'm going to I'm going to be, you know, pretty much set for vegetables. Um, for the rest of the year, just because of the things that I planted in the spring and and am about to start harvesting in the summer, uh, and that'll also, you know, I, I'll be I'll be able to give give you know Christmas presents um, in the form of salsa and, and spaghetti sauce and stuff like that, which people are going to love, um, and that's that kind of builds the community and everything else. Uh, so you know, in my own little small way, that was my first tangible step. My next tangible step is putting the show on hiatus and actually starting a business that that I can run myself. Um, do you guys have, do you guys That's have awesome by the way? Yeah, I, I think so too. And I appreciate the, I appreciate that feedback. Um, do you guys have uh, sort of a tangible thing that someone who's hearing this for the first time could, could do today, make that decision, build, build up a side hustle. I mean, that's the biggest, I mean, that's kind of entrepreneurialism. Uh, people see, have this perspective of what being an entrepreneur is and they see, uh, I'd say somebody like Clint, although Clint had to start somewhere, they say somebody who's, you know, making big money moves and stuff, but you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. Uh, and it doesn't have to be something like that. Like, I know it's silly. Like we brought the cats thing, but that started as just, you know, a small operation and it built up from there. Um, you know, and even then it's not like I'm running some cat mill where they all live in fucking filth. Like they have like over a thousand square feet and they lost a lot of them live in the house. But either way, my point being is do up something, uh, do something. Uh, the more wealth you have control over, uh, that you have more control over that someone else has no control over the better. Um, you know, obviously you want to preferably do something that's cash or crypto. And I'm not saying don't report any of that. I mean, maybe do depending on what you're doing. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it, you know, it's even uh, a lot of people make fun of Agoras for being like, uh, you know, you just want to be this guy who lives in the fucking woods and, you know, uh, and you're just going to get Waco or whatever. It's like, no, no one's saying to go to the extreme. And that's actually a big thing. Konkin emphasizes, he even says, in uh, I believe it's the primary lays out a uh, it lays out a formula. You know, it's kind of based on your your risk uh, and reward. Like for example, me and Sal were talking a lot. He ha he's willing to take on more risk than I am because he's a single guy. Uh, you know, I'm not willing to take on as much risk as he is. Like I don't even I think Sal readily admitted I don't think he pays any taxes. Uh, and he just said that out outright. Uh, I'm you know like I still pay taxes. Uh, now do I pay all taxes? Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Correct but, answer. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just build up a side hustle. Uh, you know, it's just it's more about building up some sort of or multiple side hustles. It, it doesn't have to be something big and grand. It can be a little thing making some widget or whatever, something that, you know, fits you what you're capable of, because uh, the more wealth you have control over, the better. And you don't even have to have 100 percent complete control over it. It can be you, know, you could still be storing it on crypto that you know, some I don't know enough about crypto to talk yeah. about. It, but I know I know some people would say certain crypto places aren't, aren't ideal to store it. But I mean, if that's what you're capable of, whatever. I mean, that's not the best example, but, you know, it doesn't have to be a zero or a one. You can think of it more of a spectrum. You need to move your, your, your way that way better, move your life in a more beneficial place. All right, cool. Jose, what's, uh, where should people go to find you? Uh, no way. Jose is a show. Uh, I'm on YouTube, all the major auto podcatchers, Odyssey as well. 
Uh, stuff to plug right now. Uh, follow my OKC series. I've been going. We've already done three. This will probably end up being a five or six part series. We're going deep as hell. And this is all stuff that's source stuff. So this isn't just crazy, kooky conspiracy stuff. This is all stuff that you can find uh, sources for, whether they be declassified information, what have you. Uh, the OKC thing goes a lot deeper than even a lot of you think. A lot of people have, like seen like Corbett and stuff. The guy I have on, Richard Booth, he's the guy who does uh, all the OKC stuff for Libertarian Institute. It's on there if you go yeah. to the Libertarian Institute site. Uh, he goes. He's gone way deeper than any of the stuff that I've seen anywhere else, even on things like Corbett. Um, you know, so. Yeah, I also nice. have on, uh, I don't know when you release this, so I think you, you wait like a week before you release it publicly. Uh, so uh, yeah, if that if that's the case, it may already be out by then, but I have the, uh, you know, the girlfriend of, uh, who was the girlfriend of Duncan Lemp also was pregnant with his child at the time, was in bed with him when the, uh, fate, on that fateful morning when he got, you know, murdered by the police. I have her coming on my show on Thursday. Uh, so I'll be talking to her. It won't, I'm not going to try to make it a focus on political. It'll be more like an Oprah type thing. I also want to get her account of the events. So, uh, it's more just to humanize Duncan Lemp and the people that he left that, you know, the police, uh, you know, caused him to leave behind. So yeah, I do think that'll be a good one to check out. So, and you know, share. Nice. Yeah, I got a I got a like weird impromptu phone call from Scott Horton one morning, like I was still in bed and, uh, I mean, the way that Scott talks on podcasts for hours is how he is in real life too. And, uh, so we, we got into OKC and actually he recommended, um, your guest for me to educate myself on that. Cause I just, I was a little kid when it happened and I didn't know anything about it. So, beat all right, cool. Uh, what do you say? <laughs> the beat you to it, bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Your, um, your, your series is fantastic. So, uh, Clint, uh, you're up. What is your one tangible thing that someone can do? Well, it's totally dependent on the the listener. I mean, if they are, if they're That's paycheck a very to paycheck, answer, thanks. well, I, I didn't re mean to, but it's the truth. I mean, if you're paycheck to paycheck, then Jose's advice is is ideal. Is you know, getting a side hustle so that you no longer are in that position. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, out of shape, then you're as soon as you stop listening to this, you should go to the fucking gym and stop being a pussy. Uh, if you're, <laughs> if you're not, uh, you know, financially or excuse me, uh, you know, physically secure then you might want to train up, you know, learn how to learn how to wield that steel, baby. Uh, you know, there's, there's a hundred things you could be doing and you ought to be doing all of them. So like, I think that as always rut, you know, the key is that first step. So find, I like the goal of my show oftentimes is that I want not to scare people so much as to inform them as to the risks that are in front of them so that they will feel an impetus to act. You know, I want people to act. I want them to take steps. If you can't run a mile, you can't fight the state, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. and if you can't, if you can't, uh, forego a couple paychecks, well, then you can't, uh, quit your job when the vaccine mandate comes down. Like there, there are aspects of Liberty that you cannot experience because of your own, weaknesses that you've allowed to you know arise in your own lifestyle uh so fix those I, I know that's that sounds a little too blunt but it's the truth so do it and uh at liberty lockpot on twitter liberty lockdown on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, everywhere else uh thank you so much for having me james I, I i really wish you the best in your entrepreneurial endeavor i think that you will find it to be incredibly gratifying and hopefully uh more you know, wildly financially successful than you could possibly imagine. Get after oh, it. Right. And to add to it, also, I forgot.
forgot to mention me and me and Clint and also a few other guys, uh, Top Lobster, Reed, and then uh, you know Cole and Toad also have our Tower Power Show, which is more like shit posty. Uh, so if that's not your thing, if you don't like offensive humor, uh, offensive offensive subpar humor, that's not your place. But if you do, uh, you can go check us out, so. all right, I'll I'll link to TPH on Odyssey. Uh, and with that, because it was probably inevitable, Jose, you've got the last word. Thank you so much for that. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks to the audience, etc. And I will see y'all next week um when matt erickson and lb muniz will be joining me to come at it from the post-libertarian uh realm i guess so uh okay at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.